0: in your Bibles. <clears throat> it's Mother's Day. You know, I've, uh, I've started, I've never done a Mother Day, Mother's Day sermon. Of course, I started filling the pulpit last week, and my second week, it's Mother's Day. So, it, you know, I, I'm thinking through, well, what, what's good to say to a mom, and what, what do, how do we attribute a mom and, and really make it something special? And I'm coming up with things like, you know, greater love has no one than this, that they lay down their life for their friends, and that's, that's a mom, right? They lay down their life for their kids, and that sounds like a good go-to sermon, and I'm starting to sketch things out in my mind and on paper, and, and God just t- says, go look at Matthew chapter 1. Like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll go. I, I went to Matthew 1, and Matthew 1, verses 1 through 16, it's the genealogy of Jesus. It's the, it's the part of the Bible that we normally skip over because it's names, right? It's names we can't pronounce, and, and we, we can just skip on. Let's say, okay, blah, 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 okay, Jesus is born. Sounds good. Here we go. And and so today, I'm not going to read it because it it takes a long time. I have no problem reading this. But I I want you to understand, like, reading these names is okay, even if you mess them up. The great thing about these names in this part is that Jesus put them there. So in some way, in some form, in some fashion, they are names that he wanted us to know and be aware of and to hear and to see. Okay? Uh, In this list, in this genealogy, there are a lot, a lot, a lot of men in this list. But there are five women listed. And that's not typical, especially in this day and age, or in that day and age, when this was written. W- women were, were second-rate citizens. They weren't considered equals. They weren't considered um, t- to have any rights in this way. So when, when God included them in this list, there was something about that. So today I'm calling them our Fantastic Five. There's five women we're going to look at today, and, and five women who were moms, who ultimately were a part of the, of the legacy and, and lineage and genealogy of Jesus. So we're going to look at their stories and see how they might encourage us and influence us and, and maybe even compare with some of our stories. Or if you're a mom, your story. Or if you have a mom, your mom's story, right? And we all have a mom or had a mom. So today we're going to look at some of those things. Um, I'm excited about it. I, I This is totally God. I, I was questioning him later on. I'm like, God, do you really want me to talk about the genealogy? And, and you want to talk about Rahab today as a fantastic mom? I'm like, okay, let's it was one of those questionable times, but I think God is going to do something amazing through this. So let's get prayed up and we'll look at, uh, look at these scriptures. God, you, you're you a great God and we thank you for, we thank you for Jesus. Uh, that's what we're all about. That's what uh, we ought to be all about, is worshiping Jesus, giving honor to him, giving glory to him. God, today as we look at this list of names, names that we would seemingly usually skip over, God, I pray that you would impress upon our heart. The depth of their stories, the depth of your story as it intersected theirs for your glory. Speak to our hearts today, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So turn over to Matthew 1, and uh, I'm going to read uh, some of these verses to you, and then we'll, we'll start looking at them. So uh, starting in verse 3, it says, Judah fathered Perez and Zerah by Tamar. So Tamar is our first Woman on the list in verse 3. Uh, and then it goes down to verse 5. Solomon fathered Boaz by Rahab. So Rahab is our second woman on the list, second mom. Uh, the third one continues going on. It says by Rahab. Then Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. So Ruth is our third woman. Uh, and and uh, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered King David. And the last part of verse 6, then David fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife who was Bathsheba okay that's number 4 and finally jumping down to 16 it says and Jacob father Joseph the husband of Mary who gave birth to Jesus who is called the Messiah so we have this lineage here and we need to not lose sight over, over the end here of what happened we have, we're going to have some varied stories that I share today some, some shady stories that we share today but ultimately what we see is that these women were part of the line of Jesus Christ. And that without them and their story, God's, God's glory couldn't, be re- couldn't have been revealed to us. That his legacy wouldn't have endured. See, God's legacy works through our garbage. All right, So let's look at these five women a little more in depth. Uh, we're going to see the first mom's story is Tamar. And uh, what we can learn about that, number one, is that God begins a legacy. God begins a legacy. There we have Tamar. We just read that, and we'll, we'll uh, come to this verse in a minute. Here's Tamar's story. Tamar was married, and uh, her husband uh, died. They, they didn't have, have any children. He died, and then in that, in that day, uh, the family's responsibility was to take care of the widow, right? That if there was a brother that had not been married yet, that brother was to take over the responsibility for that, that woman and make, make her his wife, and give her children, and have a have a legacy, right? Have a family, and, have, and provide for her. So the father-in-law Judah in this story um, says says to his next next son, "Your turn. You go take care of uh, this woman." And uh, he goes and doesn't really commit, and doesn't want to, and uh, God kills him. So now there's two boys dead, and we have Tamar who's still a widow, and he has one more son, and that son is. Not old enough to marry yet, so not quite of age. And what Judah says is, "Go, you go be a widow. Just go, go mourn and be a widow and on your own for a little while. And and when he beco- when he comes of age, we'll we'll make sure that he takes you as his wife, and uh, he provides for you and, and takes care of you. So that's that's kind of where the story left off. She was she was faithful. She was just you know bad circumstances, uh, widowed, and and then waiting for what what God would would have for her. And then it says after a long time, this is in Genesis thirty eight twelve. After a long time. Uh, Judah's wife, the daughter of Shua, died. When Judah w- uh, had finished mourning, he and his friend Herah, uh the Adolamite, went up to Timnah to the sheep shearers. Tamar was told, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear, the- to shear his sheep. So she took off her widow's clothes, veiled her face, covered herself, and sat at the entrance of an uh, aniam, which is on the way to Timnah. For she saw that though Shelah, this is the son, had grown up, she had not been given to him as a wife. So she, she orchestrates this thing, says, you know what, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. They have not provided for me. I'm, I'm, I'm in need. And she decides to take off the widow clothes, and she dresses up as a prostitute. And she goes and sits outside the city and, and waits and, and veils her face so he doesn't know who she is. And and, and I, Can I say it? In God's providence, he approaches her, propositions her, they strike a deal, they have sex, and she becomes pregnant. In the middle of this deal, there was a deal for a goat, and because it wasn't there, she said, I'll take your ring and your staff in the meantime and hold on to that until you pay up. And there was a whole plan. She had a plan for this. She wanted to make sure that when she took the veil off eventually, when she revealed who she really was, that he understood that she was now part of that family and that he had a responsibility in that whole, in that whole thing. And, and it was interesting because we, we put a lot of shame on Tamar, saying, well, man, she dressed up like a prostitute and she's, she's trying, to, trying to get pregnant in, in shady means. Well, yeah, yeah, you're, you're probably right. Do we have shady stories? Do we have shady backgrounds? Yeah, all of us do. There's some muddy waters there. But God was able to providentially work through that for his glory, and, and the children, the twins they had, the ch- Perez was one of the one of the twins, is part of the line of Jesus. And here's what Judah says about Tamar. Judah recognized when she sent the staff in the in the ring and said, Here, here's this is me. This is your stuff. He recognized them and said, She is more right than I, since I did not give her to my son Shelah. And he did not know her intimately again. So there's this this understanding this acknowledgement from judah saying she's right i was totally in the wrong here she was right a baby is born two babies are born but a baby is born that that is in the line of jesus see god begins a legacy god begins a legacy in all our stories in your mom's story if you're a mom in your story and if you're you're a child of a mom right all of us in our story god begins a legacy there's a legacy at work there whether there's shame or whether there's not shame God begins a legacy, and it's, it's he who gets the glory, and we are to let God show up. Our second story, uh, we see another mom in the second story, and this is what we see uh, happen here. N- number two, God redeems what is muddy. God redeems what is muddy. Who's our mom? Rahab. Who's Rahab? Rahab did not pretend to be a prostitute and dress up. Rahab was a prostitute and dressed that way for business. she was uh, she lived in the city of Jericho and as as Joshua and Israel was coming into the promised land, they, they were going to conquer the land and Jesus said or the Lord said, you, you're going to have the city, you're going to have Jericho, you're going to have all these cities uh, it's because of my power this is your land, the promised land so they come into the land, and, and Rahab is a prostitute, works in the city of Jericho. Um, of course, stories and rumors are being told about this great army, what they're accomplishing, how they're, how they're defeating so many people. Uh, she's getting a little nervous. The city is all nervous, and, and we, see, we see some crazy stuff happen, and we'll read in a minute about even their courage of the city and the strength of the city because of what God is doing. So some spies go into the city. They want to check it out. Say, what are we up against? What do we need to be aware of? Are we, are we ready to go? And while they're there, they meet Rahab, and Rahab uh, agrees to, to harbor these spies. Say, you know what? I, I want to be on the right team here. I don't want to be on the wrong team. So she has this moment in her life of humility. It says, you know what? I, maybe what I was doing, maybe who I'm with is not who I'm supposed to be with. Maybe I'm not supposed to be the way I am. And these spies come, and they they're that are people that are the Lord followers, right? They're, they're following the Lord. And she harbors them and says, I'm, I'm going to keep you safe. There's something about what you have and about the God you serve that's important. So she keeps them safe. And here, here's what goes on in uh, verse 8 and 9 of Joshua 2. Before the men fell asleep, she went to the roof and said to them. Here's her, here's her epiphany. Here's her change of heart, right? This is, I think, her salvation moment. She goes to the roof and says, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that dread of you has fallen on us. And everyone who lives in this land is panicking because of you. Now, it's easy to say, well, wow, these mighty, mighty men, this big force, we're scared of you. And we can kind of infer a little bit of that, but she says right off the bat, I know that the Lord has given you this land, right? She's not attributing great power to these men or to you or to the people. She understands that the people only have the power because of the Lord, that there is a God that we're at work that she can see at work and they are freaking out. Next scripture. For when we heard how the Lord had dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you uh, when you came out of Egypt, and what you did uh, to Sihon and Og and, and the two Amorite kings, you completely destroyed across the Jordan. Right? When we heard this, we lost heart. And everybody's courage failed because of you. Not just because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven and above the earth below. She says, now please swear to me by the Lord that you will also show kindness to my family because I showed kindness to you. You See, God is in the redeeming power and God is in 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 the business of taking what is muddy and murky and questionable and shady or debauched and turning it into something beautiful. But there's this moment in each of our lives that we have to get on our knees and say, it's not about what I can accomplish anymore. It's no longer about how good I am. It's all about how good God is. You see, that moment for Rahab was when she was talking to these men. She understood that this was about how big and powerful and mighty the Lord was. It wasn't even about how powerful these men were. It wasn't about how great Jericho was and how big the walls were and how how they could be protected against anything. She understood that she was on the wrong camp, that she was on the wrong team. And she repented. She turned the attitude of her heart away from herself, away from her idols, away from her, her customs and religious rituals, And turned the attitude of her heart to the Lord and said, you're the one who can save. And she would look for the assurance. You see that? It said, swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family and me because I show kindness to you. She wanted and needed and knew that the assurance that she sought came from the Lord. What happened? Jericho was sacked. The walls fell. Everything was to be killed. Everyone was to be Killed. She and her family were spared. This this harlot, this prostitute, this shady character who bowed before the Lord in reverence and let him redeem her was spared. And the redemption didn't stop at her salvation or her safety or her family's safety. He redeemed her story. Because Rahab was the mother to Boaz. Pretty awesome dude in the Bible, who was a pretty stand up, right, stand up and righteous man who, who feared God. So you have a, you have a man like that, a son like that, from Rahab. God must have been in the business of redeeming. That's a mom. That's fantastic. She's part of our fantastic five. Rahab, the harlot. See, nothing is too mo- muddy or murky. No past, no baggage, no no garbage is too too stinky. For God to redeem and to renew. And we see that with her. And as I think about Mother's Day today, I know, Brandon, you're comparing moms to Rahab. This is kind of an odd situation. God gave me the sermon, all right? I'm just telling you. I wanted to do it a different way. Listen, your story might be like Rahab's. And our moms, who who are amazing women, most of us say our moms are amazing women. Some of them aren't. But you know who is Amazing is Jesus. Because he redeems the unamazing for his amazing glory. And that is amazing. And that's why we can say Rahab is a fantastic mom. Fantastic five. Hey, she made the book. She's in the genealogy of Jesus. There's something about God's story and her story intersecting that's pretty special. And that can happen for us as well. So for you, if, if maybe you're a mom who says, "I have too much baggage. I can't. There's no 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 redeemable, uh, no, nothing redeemable about my story." Oh yes, there is. God is way way bigger than that. God can redeem any story for His glory, and He wants to. That's His goal. He knows that you and I can't do it on our own, and we we have to turn from our sin to Him and say, "God, You save me. You rescue me. You forgive me. You change me. You redeem me, and take my story and make it something for Your glory." And He will for some of you who are, are kids right you're, you're you're the children of a mom and maybe you're holding on to some bitterness or some resentment she didn't treat you right she didn't say the right thing to you she she wasn't the best mom let go of it God wants to work through her story through your mom's story to build a legacy for his glory in you and your family And if you're holding on to bitterness he cannot shine through got to let go of that. You got to be able to move on and say, I, yeah, my mom was, was flawed. So am I. But God is redeeming that. So let's let God redeem that. There's, there's lots of baggage, you guys. There's lots of hurt. There's lots of, of, of hangups, right? There's lots of problems out there. But God is in the business of redeeming. And that's why you and I are here, because he is our redeemer. Let's look at the third fantastic mom, the third story. Uh, we talked about Boaz, this third one is about Ruth. And uh, here's the third point. God honors our faithful obedience. Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. So Bo- Boaz and Ruth were married. Let's tell you Ruth's story. Ruth was uh, she was a Moabite woman. She was like like rahab, she was she was a, a heathen, right? She was an outsider. She worshiped other gods, had idols, had her own way of culture and living that was contrary to what God uh, wanted. And uh, it just so happened, and, and Ruth—the story of Ruth, the book of Ruth—is is filled with it. Just so happens, by the way, God's providence shows up, and God does something amazing. So you have you have Ruth, who's living in a faraway country that, that doesn't even worship and uh, love God, doesn't want, have anything to do with Him, and and then you have her in laws, her future in laws, Elimelech and Naomi. They have two sons, Malon and Kilion, and they are they live in Bethlehem, and a famine comes. And it just so happens that he made a poor decision to take his family away from, away from their roots, away from their church, away from their, their friends, their family, everything they knew that was, was important to them and their cultures and their religion and their customs and took them to a place that was anti-everything of that. They went to Moab. And while they were there, the two sons got married to Moabite women. They married people who were against God, away from God. It was against their rules to do that. And some would say that God punished that because they died. They both died. And the dad died also. Elimelech died. So you have, you have Naomi, the mother-in-law, of Ruth and Orpah, who had married her sons. And they were Moabite women, right, from the other side of the tracks. Now what? Naomi says, I'm going back to Bethlehem. Things are cleared up there. I'm going back to my people. And uh, they said, if you want to come, you can come. Orpah and Ruth kind of consider it. Orpah says, nope, I'm staying here. I want to be about my family and my business. My parents are here. My customers are here. What I know is here. Ruth's like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not leaving you. I'm leaving leaving behind all of that for you and for your God. Ruth makes a choice to say, I'm going to become obedient. See, it just so happens that this Moabite woman is given a chance, an opportunity to turn from her sin, to embrace God, and to live faithfully. And here's what she says when Ruth uh, says, go back to your own people. Ruth says this in Ruth 1 starting in verse 16, but Ruth replied, do not persuade me to leave you or go back uh, and not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. For wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do this to me and even more, if anything but death separates you from me. See, Ruth Ruth has this this time in her life. She says, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be obedient to, to your God, to Yahweh. He's the real God, and I, and I want the relationship that you have with him. And, and Naomi shows up back in Bethlehem, and Naomi is absolutely bitter. Right? She's lost her husband. She's lost her two sons. She has lost it all. Right? But she, she's this mom who also has a story of a legacy. She's not mentioned in this lineage, but she has this legacy also because now there's Ruth, a part of her family, and Ruth comes, comes back to Bethlehem with her, and now we have Ruth who's just being, being faithful. She's like, I'm going I'm to be the best person I can be. I'm going to be the, be the most faithful person. I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to serve and love my, my mother-in-law who needs me right now because she's bitter. She's angry. She's kind of like in the depressed mode. I'm going to, I'm going to do what I can. She glean[s] in the fields behind workers to try to provide food and money for her, her uh, mother-in-law and tries to take care of the needs. She just, she's a faithful worker, a servant. Interesting thing. I, I told a story at, uh, at our Bible study on Wednesday night about prayer. We're talking about prayer and, and how we pray. And sometimes we pray and, we pray and we pray and we pray and we pray and God's like not answering and It's like, I don't see it. And sometimes what God does is he changes the tune of our prayer. He says, that's not quite what I wanted you to pray for. I wanted you to pray this way. For a long time, I prayed and prayed and prayed, God, please, please, please send me a woman that's this, 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 And I, I literally had a list. In high school, late, late high school, I developed a list and it was a long list of what I, I thought I should see in the spouse. Now, they were good things to look for, right? Good things to be aware of. And I prayed and prayed and prayed. I'm like, God, why, are, why am I not finding this person? Why are you not sending me this person? And I think when I got here, it, um, I, was, I, I was seeking some wise counsel and, and praying through this a little more. And I was, co- I was convicted and confronted and said, said by a, a person in our church, said, it's not about finding the right person. It's about being the right person. I'm like, oh, okay. And I totally changed my prayer. Instead of God send me this person that has this, 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 God, make me the man you want me to be. Make me the gift that I ought to be for my spouse. And it just changed my whole perspective. I was no longer worried about a checklist. I was worried about what God is going to do in me and how he was going to gift me to somebody. And, and guess what? God takes care of that stuff. I married way up. Right? My wife is amazing. How many of you men married way up? All of you raise your hand, right? Like, like yeah, we, like, it's like, does my wife have glasses? You, I mean, do you really, really? I mean, my brother, and I, brother, Danny, and I talk about this all the time. Like, did, how did, I don't, I don't know. How did we do this? But if you ask our wives, they would say they married up. I don't know how, but they say it, right? We are so blessed because we concentrated on being the right person. See, Ruth in this story concentrated on just being the obedient, right person. Then you have Boaz. This awesome dude, this man's man who is just full of integrity and, and, and honesty and, and love and support. He even, he even prays for us. says, God, I, I pray that God is going to provide you with the man you need, the kinsman redeemer that you need. Just so happens, God answered his prayer with himself. God said, Boaz, you're, you're the man that she needs. And he goes, What? And then he, he puts two and two together. He's like, yes, this is what needs to happen. This is what's going to work. And they, they have a marriage that, that lasts and endures and a relationship that is blessed with a child and, and, and a relationship that, that was honoring to God. And then that bitterness, that bitter lady, Naomi, said, call me, call me Mara again. Uh, or call me, call me Naomi again, not Mara. Because God's blessed me. God's blessed me. And she was happy because of that. So you have this, this woman, Ruth, of the Fantastic Five, who was a faithful and obedient servant, and we see that God honors our obedience. See, God honored, honored me when I started praying in different ways, saying, God, please just make me who, I want to, who you want me to be. God said, here you go, I'm going to honor you with that, and I'm going I'm to bring you more than you could even imagine. And for Ruth, she said, I'm just going to live how God wants me to live and be who God wants me to be, and God honored that, and God brought Boaz in. And I think that Boaz was not only a gift to Ruth, but Ruth was a gift to Boaz in their their sight. And out of that union is born Obed of the line of Jesus. You see, God is at work in honoring our faithfulness as well. Some of our moms have been wonderfully faithful, and you can see the blessed life they have and, and how God has been blessing and blessing and blessing and providing for his glory. We can honor moms that are there as well. Same as we can honor Ruth in this story. Our fourth mom, in our next story, we see that uh, in this mom's story, number four, God's grace brings newness and hope. God's grace brings newness and hope. So we have a faithful mom right before, and now we have another mom that needs some grace, needs some hope. It's Mm -hmm. a story of Uriah's wife, right? Bathsheba. The story here, it was spring when kings went to war. And the king's army was all at war, and the king was... Not at war. He was at home, lounging around, playing Xbox, kicking back, eating meat. Not at war. He notices Bathsheba on a, on a rooftop bathing. Notices her beauty and says, I, you know what? I want that. Brings her into, her, into his chamber and has sex with her. She gets pregnant. Now, and we, we tend to have a lot of shame we sometimes put on Bathsheba. And people say, well, have yeah, Bathsheba, she was up na- naked bathing on the, ba- on the top roof, you know, and okay. But listen, David is King David. He, he has power and authority. He is the, the, the most powerful man in the world. And when he summoned Bathsheba, there was no consent that had to be given. She did what the king told her to do. And I, I do believe that there was no, no willingness there on, on Bathsheba's part, that she, that she didn't want to break her marriage covenant with her husband, but that David took advantage of that situation. So there's a, there's a someone takes advantage of the situation, David does, takes advantage of the situation. Bathsheba is, is broken over this. She's pregnant. Then David tries to cover it up, say, well, let's, let's bring your husband back home. And, and, he, and he's such a stand-up guy. He sleeps on the doormat, so he doesn't even go in. David's hoping that he would go in, they, they'd have sex, and then, then that, would, that baby would be theirs, right, not mine. He sleeps on the doormat says, I'm not going in there, I'm, I'm honorable, I'm in on the battle lines. He goes back out and David's like, I, I gotta kill him now. He sends her to the front lines and he's dead. Uriah dies. So Bathsheba has lost her husband, right? There's judgment that comes upon uh, David's choice and Bathsheba loses the baby. And, and this mourning happens and then there's this, this grace that enters into, this grace interrupts their story. I, I want to I show you a scripture here in uh, 2 Samuel 11, starting in verse 26. It says When Uriah's wife heard that her husband had died, She mourned for him, so it wasn't like this choice of like I really wish I didn't have a husband so I could have King David. No, he died and she mourned for him. And when the time of mourning had ended, David had brought her to his house. She became his wife and bore him a son. However, the Lord considered what David had done to be evil. Right? He doesn't even mention Bathsheba there. What David and Bathsheba did. What David had done was evil. But there was this time of grace that that interrupted the story. She's lost a baby. She's lost a husband. David understands the depth of his sin. There's a point where David understands and is confronted with a sin, and David repents of a sin, is mourning his sin, is grieving his sin in, in such a deep way. You see that in Psalm 51, where he just deeply, deeply repents. And God's grace in repentance, he, he God God can heal through that. When people turn from their sin and say, "I, I want I want what God wants now," and, God, and David was what a man after God's own heart. See, God can reach through with His grace and heal. And David and Bathsheba marry and they have a genuine, real relationship, and, and that that grace-filled relationship was not what it was at the start. But that grace-filled relationship produces a son, Solomon, who is potentially the wisest man who ever lived, and probably the richest man who ever lived. We have books of the Bible that are written by him and, and about him. And Solomon is part of the line of Jesus. So sometimes God's grace needs to invade our story. Sometimes God's grace invades our mom's story and heals heals a wound, heals a a sin, and God's grace is able to, to move forward with his story for his glory. It's a tribute to a mom. Finally, the final story we see is Mary, mother of Jesus. In this story, number five, we see God uses us when we exhibit courage and faith. God uses us when we exhibit courage and faith. And here is the verse, in Matthew chapter one, sixteen. Jacob, father Joseph, Joseph, uh, the husband of Mary, uh, gave, gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. All right, kind of a big deal. Mary is this junior high girl, like thirteen or fourteen years old. She's grown up in the traditions uh, of of Judaism. She embraces it. She loves it. She recites it. She she loves the Lord. She wants to be in step with the Lord all the time. Pretty awesome for a 13-year-old, right, 14-year-old. And, and there's this courage that she exhibits in her life. An angel comes to her and, and says, you're going to be with child, right? You're going to have the Messiah. And what's born of you is not of, of human, it's, it's of God. How will this be? Because I'm, I'm a virgin, right? She's like, I, I'm a virgin, I, I'm waiting for my husband. Oh, no, I know, you'll still be a virgin. Wait, What? she has the courage and says this in Luke one thirty eight. I am the Lord's servant or slave. Said Mary, may it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. This 13 or 14-year-old girl has this courage and says, I am the Lord's servant. I'll do whatever he wants me to do. And, and she had to be weighing in her minds. What is my mom going to think? What is my dad going to think? What are my friends going to think? What is my family going to think? What is my town going to think? What is Joseph going to think? The guy I'm, I'm engaged to. Think of the courage she had to have even approaching Joseph and saying, "Uh, Joseph, I have something to tell you. Yeah, I'm pregnant. Yeah, no, I didn't have sex with anybody else. I didn't cheat on you. This is from God. Think of the courage that she had to have, the faithfulness to her Lord that she exhibited. And see, God can use us, use our stories of courage and faithfulness. God wants to use that. God's waiting to use that in our lives, that we can we exhibit the courage and faith that Mary had and say, God, use me however you want to use me. I want my story to be your story at the end. And see, that's the tribute to moms. We ought to have, we, we ought to, we ought to tribute moms and tribute, tribute stories that line up and say, my story was garbage. My story was, was horrible. My, my story was shady or debauched or, or it was muddy. But God, but God redeemed, but God showed up, but God's grace showed up and, and God's grace is sufficient for me. And that, that God's story prevailed. And if God's story prevails, it's a win. It's a victory because his glory prevails. So for some of you, there's, I think there's the what now question. On Mother's Day, what now? Well, some of you are moms. And your story feels like it's too shady to count. You feel like the, the anger you've had or the resentment you've had or the bitterness you've had or the decisions you've made in your past Are not worthy of anything, and you are paralyzing your story. You have stopped your story right there, and Satan has derailed you. What you need to know is, God is so ready to forgive. God is so ready to redeem. God is so ready to take what is wrong and bad and muddy and murky and debauched and make it into something beautiful. God wants to pick up our broken pieces, and He wants to make His. Awesome masterpiece of a mosaic of what was broken. You can only make a mosaic masterpiece, by the way, with broken pieces. The artist takes good pieces of glass and breaks them and then puts them back together into something beautiful. And that's what we are, that's what our story is. So if you're a mom that's stuck there, stop being stuck. Let God redeem your story, let God change your heart. Nothing better than God's, God's story intersecting with our story for his glory. <clears throat> maybe you're a child of a mom. That makes all of us, by the way. We all came from a mom. Whether she's with us or not, whether she was good or not, it doesn't matter. Maybe you're a child of a mom, and, and maybe, that, that you, maybe you're carrying resentment. Maybe you're carrying anger. Maybe you're carrying some, some bitterness that says, I, I, I don't want anything to do with my mom's story. I don't want her story to shine at all. Listen, your butt is in that seat today because of some legacy that went before you. And that's the truth. Whether your mom was horrible or not, God's legacy, God's story is still being written. And you are a living testimony of that here today. And you need to forgive your mom. You need to let go of the anger. You need to let go of the resentment. And you need to let God restore, maybe a relationship, but for sure, a legacy and his story. Because now it's your turn to be used. Now it's your turn to be redeemed. It's your turn for a life full of grace. i want to leave you this last verse in Hebrews. Chapter 12, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a large crowd of witnesses, or, or the fantastic five, right, and all the other ones, and our moms as well, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us and run the race with endurance that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, or the author and perfecter of our story, right? He's the author. He's the perfecter of our story. It's his story meeting our story for his glory. For who the joy that laid before him endured the cross and despised the shame. He despised the shame. The shame that you feel, the shame that may be in your mom's life. He despised that shame and sat down at the right hand of God's throne. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you don't grow weary or lose heart. He despised the shame. We don't have to grow weary or lose heart. He's redeeming. And as we look at those moms today in in Scripture, they're fantastic because God's story prevailed. God's grace prevailed. And whatever our story is, whatever our mom's story is, God's grace is ready to prevail there as well, and we should be thankful for our mom's story, and we should be thankful for what God has done and is yet to do in our lives. Amen. Would you stand with me and pray, <clears throat> Father? We we acknowledge moms today. We we recognize the sacrifices they made, and we thank you for for their lives. The impact they had on us, whether negative or positive, God, it was was part of what you were doing in our story. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your redemption. Thank you that you are the one who, who triumphs in the midst of all of those negative things. And you're the one who triumphs in the midst of all the positive things. We want to be used by you. We want to tribute our moms well by living a life that shows and shines and points to Jesus. It's in his good name we pray. Amen.